So I believe I've shared this information before, but uh, in high school, I was an employee at, West, uh, at Winchester Drive-In Theater in San Jose, California. We'll uh, pop a picture of that up here, and you'll see those circles. There are five full circles, and there's a, a circle just partway at the bottom. We had six screens, big time. But when you're an employee of Win- Winchester Drive-In Movie Theater, you're not just an employee of that theater. You're part of the Sayufi Entertainment Network. Even more, the Sayufi Empire of Entertainment in the Greater Bay Area, which meant that as a privilege, being a part of that community, I could go to other theaters and see those movies when they were first let out. In fact, on a certain Saturday afternoon in Uh, 1977, my brother and I contacted our manager. He was also an employee at Winchester Drive-In Movie Theater as well. We made the call. He made the call, and we showed up at this indoor theater, which was always a grade up from the drive-in theaters. And we went, and there was this long, long line. And we got to go in, find our seat, right in the best seats possible, and watch A New Hope. Yes, episode number four of Star Wars. You know, when you belong to something, there can be privileges. When you belong to something, there can be privileges. And when you belong to something, there can also be callings, responsibilities that you have. Over this past number of weeks, we have been in a sermon series in which we were looking at both the privileges and the callings that we have as followers of Christ, that when we belong to Christ, that our faith calls upon us for a certain way of living as we live out our identity in Christ. Today, we're going to be finishing up that series, uh, Everyday Christianity with Tim, Titus, and Phil. We've been looking at 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And today, we're going to be focusing on partners and siblings. Partners and siblings. Last week, uh, as Joshua was uh, teaching us from Philemon verses 4 through 7. She communicated at the uh, conclusion of the sermon that, that this is true, and we find that in the text, that we need Christian fellowship. We need partnership in the faith. We need friendship in Christ. And because we need it, we must learn to be it. We're following up on that today. And Joss even said it in her message that in order to understand the rest of the passage, the rest of Philemon, we needed to be grounded in that new kind of relationship that we have in Christ. Before we read our text, just a couple of general points to keep in mind. The feel of this letter is gentle, coaxing. Paul doesn't come right out and declare exactly what he wants Philemon to do. And even though it may be gentle and careful and just moving forward, there's great intention with all the words that Paul chooses. He leads up to his ask. The ask doesn't come until further into the text. As at least one commentator has pointed out, he wants Philemon to make the decision. Even more, he wants Philemon to make the decision to do what Paul is encouraging, but to do it for the right reason, for the right reason. So with this in mind, 
Let's go ahead and read our text. We'll be in Philemon, a very small book in the New Testament, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 25. 8 through 25. We'll put it on the screen. Feel free to take time if you need to hit a pause and, and uh, go get your Bible and come back and, and use your Bible as we go through the time this morning. Let's receive the Word of God. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more then I say, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Damas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God bless us as we come under his word even today. All right, so in this passage, we have three characters. We have Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And we are going to spend some time getting to know them. Here is the surface drama. You probably already picked up on what that drama is. Onesimus is a runaway slave whom Paul is sending back to his master, Philemon. Onesimus, a runaway slave has an encounter with Paul. Paul is sending him back to Onesimus' master, Philemon. But there's an underlying drama, the drama that really matters in our story here. Philemon and Onesimus have radical new identities individually and together in community through their faith in Christ. And so Paul calls Philemon to embrace Onesimus as an eternal brother in the faith and a partner in the gospel of Christ. 
So on one hand, on the surface level, yes, we've got someone who ran away and someone who needs to go back and, and those experiences of, of just earthly relationships, and yet there's so much more going on in the story. And here's our main point for this morning. Our main point is this. Everyday Christianity is to reflect in word and in action our new identity in Christ. And in some ways, that really is the main point of the whole of our sermon series, this everyday Christianity. Everyday Christianity is to reflect in word and in action our new identity in Christ. And the main point that we have here is actually found in the layers of identity and relationships that are articulated in this little letter. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a quirky sermon. It doesn't follow our usual, here are your clear points. I'm going, to, I, I, I'm going to need you to be a partner in helping to explore what's going on here. For us to be able to take authentic interest in these three characters, in the dynamic that goes on between them, for as we watch them, we can watch ourselves as well. And so, let's first turn to Paul. Paul. We notice in verse 9 that he says, I, Paul. There's something about having a spokesperson for something. You know, if you really want to get your product across or whatever message you want to convey, it helps to have a recognized name, a, a somebody to speak up on your behalf. Maybe you might reach out to a, an actor, maybe someone like Julia Roberts or Denzel Washington, and you want them to speak on your behalf, and people go, oh yeah, I, I'll buy that. Maybe just in the midst of uh, the, uh, the big celebration in Britain yesterday and the, the coronation of King Charles III, maybe if right in the middle of the coronation that uh, if King Charles III had turned to the camera and held up a roll of Charmin toilet paper and said, it's the kind we use here at Buckingham Palace. Dropping that name. So what name does Paul drop? He drops his own name. I, Paul. It's Paul writing the letter. It's Paul making the ask. This is the apostle to the Gentiles. This is the one who, whom Jesus had met on the road to Damascus and quickened his heart, and he went from being a killer of Christians to being a leader of Christians, a missionary, a teacher, a miracle worker. I, Paul. He goes on to say, an old man, an old man, and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. An old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. You know, in this little epistle, this little letter, Paul doesn't come out and say, I'm an apostle, I'm going to tell you what to do, here's what you need to keep in mind. Instead, in this gentle approach, he simply says, I, Paul, an old man. Now, some commentators will say that the, that the word for old man might uh, also mean ambassador, because it can mean that in some other context. But in this context, what Paul is doing is he's coming not from power above, but from encouragement below. To be an old man in the culture of that time would be to be a helpless person. To be a prisoner would be to be a helpless person. 
I think for Paul, though, we get something in addition to his helplessness. We also get a testimony to his faithfulness, his suffering over time. Philemon, you know my story. I've lived out this life for Christ, and you know how I've suffered for him. This is Paul. Then we can take a look at Onesimus, and we discover this. First of all, that he's a bondservant, that he's a slave. And it might be that even as we're entering this little passage, we're wrestling. Why doesn't the Bible just come out and speak against slavery directly? Why doesn't Paul just say here to Philemon, hey, stop having slaves? You know, after our history and what we've gone through, and that's a big we, for others have gone through experiences that we can only read about and imagine. And we've come to the conclusion that, you know, freedom is far better than enslavement. The scholars who write about such things from the first century, they help us understand a little bit of the context in which Paul writes. They list that, listen, slavery was widespread at the time. In fact, they say that in larger communities, maybe as many as one-third of the people were slaves. It was part of how the structure of the economy was built. Also, to, to look at Christianity at that time, Christianity was just this small sect of people. It wasn't very large. And in the midst of an empire that ruled with strength, there wasn't much of a voice to speak into all the dynamics. We have in our culture, uh, as uh, Dr. Moo puts it in his commentary, that we have uh, uh, a sense of the obvious goodness of freedom. But in the culture of Paul's time, it wasn't always a good thing to be freed up. You see, there were um, uh, slaves that would be all the way from working in salt mines, which would be a very hard, hard life, to being slaves who would manage over households. And, and to be released from being a slave didn't mean that you then automatically had opportunity. It's not the way that the economy or the culture worked. And finally, there seems to be in that early church that there was this focus that as we live into our new identity, our new faith in Christ, that our focus is what does it mean to be that community together? Leaving for us as we come along generation by generation of how do we live out God's justice and righteousness, not just for the community, but for the whole of the world and pursuing the well-being of others. And so we have here Onesimus. And he's a slave. We can ask, is he a runaway? That's probably what he is. There's a potential that there was something that had gone wrong, that Philemon had mistreated him, and, and, and there was a way for a slave to be able to, to go to somebody and have them be an advocate for them and to come back and to, and to work through some kind of condition. But given the context of the story, it seems much more likely that Onesimus, he ran away, that he went all the way from Colossae over to Rome, and somehow he came into contact with the Apostle Paul. Paul goes on to describe Onesimus this way. He's Paul's child. Verse 10. That, that Paul was used of God to bring Onesimus to faith. And so here's the spiritual child of Paul's. 
that he's also formerly useless, but now useful, that, that we don't know the story, and Paul doesn't need to describe the story because everybody in the story knows it. Philemon knows what happened. Onesimus knows what happened. Paul knows what happened. So we don't get to know. They all already know. But Paul makes that statement. At one point, he was useless. But now, because of this change, he's become useful. And finally, that Paul would describe Onesimus as his very heart. Paul's very heart. He's sending back his very heart to Philemon. And so then let's learn about Philemon real quickly. Simple. He's Onesimus's master. From last week, we learned that Philemon is a beloved fellow worker of Paul's. We also learn in our text down in verse 19, that Philemon was brought to faith through Paul. So there's this story of these three individuals who have a change in identity because of their relationship in Christ. You know, the drama in our story is less about a runaway slave and more about who we are together in Christ. The drama is not about a runaway slave returning, but about how we see one another and treat one another. We've gone over passages like these in the past. We, we've taken a look at what our new identity in Christ looks like. We've referenced this verse many times. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It happens. Anyone who says yes to, to God through Jesus Christ, who receives God's grace through Christ, the forgiveness of sins, they come into that relationship. God works a new thing right away in their heart. From God's perspective, it's already done. Everything old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. Then how about a passage like 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10? If that first one focused on anyone, now this passage focuses on us together for all those who follow Christ. We find in the text, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The change takes place through faith in Christ. Not only are we different individually, we're different col uh, collectively. And then just, we got to do this one last, because it, blow, it blew my mind. I believe it blows our mind to see the kind of newness that we have in and through Jesus Christ. This is Jesus himself speaking in Matthew's gospel. It says in chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, Matthew 12, 46 through 50, it says there, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother 
and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and sister and brother. Listen, when we say yes to God through Jesus Christ, we become the very family of Jesus. We become uh, the siblings of Christ. It's who we are. That's the drama taking place. The drama story is le- in our story is less about a runaway slave and much more about who we are together in Christ. So let's look at the pairings now. Let's look at those relationships. If we met them as individuals, let's meet them in their relationship with one another. Let's first look at Paul and Onesimus. Here's what we discover. By the way, if you don't like triangles, I am so sorry because all the graphics are triangles. And if you don't like geometry, again, my apologies. Just hang in there. Hang in there and we'll get through it together. Paul and Philemon. So Paul appeals, I mean, sorry, Paul, Paul and Onesimus. Paul sends Onesimus. We're told in verse 12, I am sending him back. Paul is not just going to stay in his corner and just do his thing. There's a relationship and a righteousness to be lived out in this context. Onesimus is a helper to Paul. There's that connection that they have together, that they're together part of the body of Christ. And that Paul is a willing atoner for Onesimus. In verses 18 and 19, Paul describes, if he's wronged you at all, put it on my tab. I'll cover it. I'm there. I put my name to it. I, Paul, sign this. I'm saying I will stand up for him. We can conclude that Paul already sees Onesimus through the eyes of the gospel. So let's move then on to Paul and Philemon. Paul and Philemon. Paul appeals to Philemon. He says in verse 8, he talks about being bold. I could be bold, and I am bold. I'm going to speak out. There's this sense of that word of that I have the freedom to speak, and I speak with boldness. Bold enough in Christ to command, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Love's sake. Paul's love for Onesimus? Paul's love for Philemon? Paul's love for God? God's love for Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul? Yes! That that relationship is, all those relationships defined by love. I don't know if you can tell or not, because this is, it took some time, all right? I just want a little bit of credit for this, making that shaded part of the triangle and at the right angles, and, and it's kind of transparent, and you can see, yeah. So that's that new relationship. It's that connection that is defined because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then Paul encourages faithfulness. I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. So Paul to Philemon, his brother, encouraging Philemon to make the choice of faithfulness. So finally, then we get to the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Here comes the actual request. Receive Onesimus. There's a little bit of a question here. Did he? We don't know. 
We don't have a, 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 the final story on the story. We, we don't know what, what took place and what actually happened. But here's the request being made. Receive Onesimus. If you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. And Onesimus's primary identity is one of sibling, of brother, not slave, but brother. For this, perhaps, is why he has parted from you for a while. I love that Paul kind of uh, takes that little bit of, this could be the providence of God at work right here. Maybe God's providential hand has been at work, and Onesimus has, has departed so that you could then receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother that you might have him back forever, no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. And he goes on to say, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Which is a, a great way to be able to put it, that, that this is not just a spiritual thing. You know, great Onesimus, I get it that you're my brother in Christ, now get to work. Not that, but that even in your treatment as a master to slave, that you would treat him with, with kindness and generosity and, and the way of love, uh, the way of Christ. You know, there are these, uh, what they call these household code, codes in the New Testament. Household, household codes. And, and part of that was how wives and husbands were to get along and how parents and children were to get along. But they also talked about masters and slaves. Calling the masters to treat the slaves well and calling the slaves to, to treat masters well. And again, just the understanding of slavery at the time. But because of the new identity in Christ, we have new relationships with each other. So, we have those three sets of relationships, Paul and Onesimus, Paul and Philemon, Philemon and Onesimus. Let's do a quick review then. Paul brought Philemon and Onesimus to faith. God used Paul in their coming to faith. Paul sends Onesimus, his child, his, his very heart, back to Philemon, calling on Philemon to see and treat Onesimus, not as a runaway slave, but as a full sibling, a full brother in Christ. So how do we see each other? How do we see each other? Even take a moment. Would you take a moment and just look around the room? How do we see each other? Maybe we see each other as an acquaintance, maybe a stranger, maybe someone who simply attends the same church that I happen to attend. Maybe we see each other as a ministry partner, or maybe we've been fortunate enough to build friends even within this room. Paul would have us see each other as siblings, eternal siblings, saved by the grace of God, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that together we are partners in the gospel. We can go back over the course of our lives and look at all the different situations. I can look back at a relationship that I was in. I was in a situation, there was uh, uh, Glenn, Andy, and myself. And I put myself over on the far side and just because that's where Paul's name was, I was not in the position of Paul. We were all trying to work out what does it mean to be God's people together that happened to be a situation that, like the one in Paul's writing here, that there was some level of conflict involved. And we had to work out, what does that mean? And we're still working it out. What does that mean as God's people defined by our new identity? 
But you, let's talk, let's talk about situations that you might be in. How about you and a couple of folks? Maybe it's just you and one person. It doesn't have to be conflict. It can be, it can be a, a small group relationship. What does it mean to see each other, all Christians, as a sibling in Christ, a partner in the gospel? If it's not just a couple people, what if it's a bunch of people? What if it's all the people in the church, in our church, or all the Christians in Peoria, or all the Christians in America, or all the Christians all over the world? That we would see that who we are together is defined by our relationship with Christ. This is everyday Christianity. In fact, in the New Testament, we are given these one another's. There's something like 54, 58 one another's. Love one another. Hold one another accountable. Hold one another accountable. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. That's everyday Christianity. I once worked in the snack bar of a drive-in theater. I got to see Star Wars early. But way more than that, we are members of the body of Christ. Through Jesus, we are new creations. Through Jesus, we are a chosen people. Through Jesus, we are Jesus' brothers and sisters and mother. Through Jesus, we are partners in the gospel and eternal siblings for all of eternity. Yes, indeed, we need Christian fellowship. Yes, indeed, we need, we need partnership in faith. And yes, we need friendship in Christ. And because we need it, we must learn to be it. Everyday Christianity is to reflect in word and in action our new identity in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that this story between three of your children from ancient times is still available to us. We thank you for the tone and the words that Paul chose, that your spirit prompted in the midst of Paul's writing that it would be useful to us even today. We're so grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ and for his lordship over our lives and for the work that he accomplished to cause us to be your people together. We're thankful too for this meal that, that he taught, that he gave, that he set aside, that as often as we would eat of it, that we would then proclaim his death until he comes again. Even now we ask that you would set aside these elements for us, these pieces of a sacrament, these outward signs, the taking of the meal, the outward sign, outward invisible sign of an inward and invisible grace. We give you praise, God. In Christ's name, amen.